Welcome back to another episode of the Emerald Sports Desk Report. This is episode nine. And today we have Emma on for her first time on the podcast. She's going to be talking about women's basketball. Emma went to the last two games and wrote those game stories. So before we get into, you know, analyzing the team, Emma, just take us through your experience um, covering these two games from a reporter's standpoint. Uh, Yeah, it was really cool. I feel like going as a student is definitely different. I've been to a couple games. I went to the game yesterday, the men's game, as a student, and it's definitely just like a way different experience. It's much quieter when you're not surrounded by other people. No one really talks to each other around, and I just feel like, I don't know, I had to obviously pay attention a lot more, which was definitely different, but I thought it was way cooler. Yeah, what was kind of like your strategy for your first time of going to a game and just t- taking notes and getting ready to write your, your game story? What was your strategy for that? Yeah, I tried to, at first, when I first sat down, I like looked around and see what other people were doing. I was like, okay, like I'll feel the vibes out. And then I had like the scoreboard up on my computer, like split screen with notes. So then I was just like watching. And then if I wasn't sure what happened, then I'd like check on the scoreboard or whatever the thing is you can like track the points and stuff and then if something like that I thought was important or something that I noticed that was like different or something like that then I would just jot it down real fast and then at the end of every quarter I'd kind of go through and like look back at my notes and see like what happened what was the score just kind of like putting all my things together and then at halftime then I would like do that again and like see where everything was at and then going to the press conference I did the first time I didn't really know what to do so I was like okay I'll just like sit there and just like observe and then like it when I was listening to like what they were saying like the players and then coaches like I was just making sure that like everything was checking out with like what I noticed and like I was making sure that everything was making sense did you feel comfortable asking any questions in the press conference no (laughs) that'll come with time for sure I did not feel I still don't feel comfortable especially in the football ones Brady was mentioning before the show just how tough it is to ask a question in the press conference um because of the uh sids but uh i think basketball is easier than with football um but now going back to the games themselves this this team's pretty good you know three blowout wins to start the season kennedy basham started the year pretty well but she's hurt right now right and one thing you talked about is just how those other um centers have kind of come in for her place so grace van sluten Filipina Che, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but how has the team kind of stepped up in Basham's absence? Yeah, so she only played for six minutes of that first game, and so then in the press conference they were talking about it a little bit, but Grace Van Sluten is really good. Like, I noticed her right off the bat, just like, uh, first of all, her height, so like I could see her easily, um, and so I just like was kind of impressed with the way that I didn't realize she was a freshman until like halfway through. I like was checking my notes and stuff, and I was like, oh, she's like the real deal. So I was just kind of, kind of impressed by the way that she like kind of took control of the court, and just like something that I wouldn't expect from a freshman. And then Philly, like especially in the press conferences, Coach Graves was talking about like how good she's going to be and how much improvement they're expecting to see for her like as the season goes so I thought that was kind of cool just because the team is really new like they're 40% freshmen so there's definitely like so much room for growth which I think is gonna be really exciting to see yeah and I think it's good because they're led by Tahina Paupau who's a veteran and she's the point guard so she can kind of like direct um, the offense and then I really like from what I've watched of uh, Filipina Che she is has the highest ceiling. She's so raw, six foot eight, not a great finisher right now, but she definitely can be not a great shooter right now. I don't know if she can get there, but just to be six foot eight, that height will give you an advantage over anybody. 
So another uh, girl you wanted to point out was Jenna Isai. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but what yeah. did you see from her? Uh, Jenna, so Jenna played all three games, I believe on Monday as well, off the bench and was like leading scorer in a couple of the games. So I just like was kind of impressed. And then the people that were sitting in front of me in last Saturday's games were also really impressed with her. She had like she came out off the bench and like immediately had a steal. So it's just like people are noticing her coming off the bench and making impact right away, which I think is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And she's also a freshman too. Wow. So a lot of freshmen making immediate impacts on this team. What do you think, you know, it's early on, but what do you think kind of the potential of this team is from what you've seen? Um, I think it's going to be really interesting going forward just because they aren't going to be playing a lot of or any ranked teams at the moment for a while. So they're going to be playing Portland, I think, in a couple weeks. And then the Beavers, which Coach Graves did say was going to be like their first bigger test just because the first three teams they played haven't really challenged them as much. So I think it'll be interesting to see once they get into Pac-12 play what they can do going forward after not having super hard games. Yeah, one thing that interests me is like compared to the last few teams that I've watched play here, there's not one player with Sedona Prince hurt that is like publicized heavily. Like Sabrina was that person and then it was Sedona and now um, I think Tahina probably takes the most of that publication, but it seems like this is a very under-the-radar team, and that might work to their favor. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. I think that Grace is definitely, she already was Pac-12 Freshman of the Week for last week, so I think that she is going to kind of take over maybe kind of that, like, outside role. I, I'm not sure, like, sure for right now but I think Pow Pow definitely as well she was just added to another watch list too so I think that having her as like a veteran will definitely help the rest of their young team all right awesome thank you so much Emma okay so now we're going to move on to the next portion of this podcast we got men's basketball and football remaining um, let's hit on men's basketball first so men's team is two and one they they lost to UC Irvine who it's is a slight upset just because of where the two teams were ranked. I guess UC Irvine wasn't ranked, but UC Irvine's not a bad team. They were in the uh, March Madness tournament last year. Obviously, Oregon was favored, and they they blew that game. Uh, before we get into that, their next game was against Montana State, which they won by thirty. So just a little bounce back win after a bad loss. Let's let's start with the UC Irvine loss. Brady, you were at the UC Irvine game. What did you see from? the Oregon Ducks, and why do you think they lost that one? I saw a really poor shooting um, in that game. You mentioned that it was an upset loss. Yes, the, losing to UC Irvine is not a sin in itself, but it was how they lost it. I mean, they really just weren't in this game. Um, they struggled from the from the three-point line. They struggled from free throws. I mean, free, free throws, they were 64%. Um, from the three-point line, they were 19%. Um, this is just this was not good enough for a ranked team and certainly not good enough to beat a good team like the Anteaters. I mean, the Anteaters jumped up early and then just stayed on it the whole time. And Oregon had Oregon was shooting threes from the beginning of the game and they weren't falling. And then they were behind. So they had to continue to rely on the three point shot to try to get back in the game. And they still weren't able to hit them. And so it was just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and those woes of the free throw line continued against Montana State. Even though they won, they shot I think five of fifteen from the five from the, of thirteen. Five of thirteen from the free throw line. And Coach Altman talked about that, you know, in the press conference. That's some, they can't do that, um, you know, in, in if they want to get where they want to get to this year. And, and I think one of the issues is because a lot of those free throws come from the big men, and and Fali Dante is just not a good free throw shooter, and. Kalel Ware is a struggling free throw shooter. I think 
Nate and Kalel, based off their outside shot, can become better at free throw shooting, but they're not there yet. Going back to that UC Irvine game, um, another thing that you know you touched on in the first game or that you did right, Brady, just Will Richardson's struggles continued from the end of last season. Um, and he is in a primary scorer role with this team because he's, you know, probably looked at as the best scorer. I don't know if he is, but that's what he's looked at as. Um, and what do you guys think about his struggles? And do you think that he can get back to where he was last year as a leading scorer? Um, and, and how do you think? Because I think the Oregon team will go as far as he can go. So what do you guys think about Will Richardson's struggles so far? I think he can be productive, just not in the role that they're trying to to put him in. You know, when you bring in all these transfers like Bartholomew and uh, Cuisinart's not playing right now, but I mean, th- they got to figure out a way he can fit in because he's not shooting well right now. I mean, he went 0 for 4 from the 3 against Irvine. Didn't shoot very well against uh, against Montana State either. So I think they found a little bit of juice with uh, putting moving Nate Biddle to the starting lineup that looked somewhat productive at least. Um, but I think while they have these out-of-conference games, they need to keep just play with the lineup a little bit, you know, see what works, uh, and then go from there. Right, and uh, playing with the lineup is something I wanted to mention a little bit. I was just watching uh, this Montana State game yesterday, and Kalel Ware is looking like an absolute force, another impressive outing, 16 points, 7 rebounds. Do you think uh, you got, or do you guys think that uh, down the line he could possibly replace Nate Biddle in the starting lineup? So I actually think it's it's interesting because I don't think you can take Infali Dante out of the starting lineup, but but Biddle and Ware played better when it was the two of them on the court, because the the reason I think for that is because they both can do they both can shoot and they both can play inside the paint, so you kind of have that balance. Whereas with Dante, Dante has to be in the paint, so the others kind of just like not really moving. They're pretty stagnant because both are young players and kind of haven't really learned how to move within the offense if they're not you know down lower on, on the perimeter. So I think that's the issue. But you can't take Dante out of the starting lineup because of his defense, because of, because of his presence running the court. And, and you mentioned the tinkering with the lineups. Maybe they will tinker and start wearing and Biddle in one of these games. I don't really see that. I don't think they can take Dante out of the lineup. He did get hurt towards the end of that game, but I don't think it's a long-term injury based off the way Dana was talking about in the press conference. But I, I do think tinkering with this lineup and these roles is you know going to be a huge part of these pre-conference games. And one other thing I want to mention... Um, before I go go back to you guys with those roles with Bartholomew and Richardson, I was texting Brady about this during the game. They don't seem comfortable playing off one another, which is something that I thought would be beneficial for Will. You know, he could be that slasher where Bartholomew is the point guard, kind of like a Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey dichotomy. But it doesn't seem like it's working out that way. It really doesn't. What I noticed was when they were off the court, that's when their lead kind of grew. Towards the end of the first half, they kind of built an 11-point lead when Bartholomew is running the point guard and Oregon got out in transition. That's what I thought was, you know, their, their most uh, efficient lineup when they were running with Bartholomew not with Will and Bartholomew together. I really think that they're going to have to figure that out because they have to play with those two. You mentioned it. Cuisinard's out for now. Brennan Rigsby's out for now. Those are their guards. They have to stick with them, and they have to figure it out, and it, there's going to be some growing pains, but they got to figure it out quickly. Yeah, they got to figure it out, but also the beginning of the year is the kind of the time where you're trying to find which pairs work and which pairs don't. And, I mean, right now that one's not, but also it goes back to what we were talking about where Will Richardson is going to get better. I mean, he's going to be the leading scorer. Right now he's averaging the most minutes of anyone on the team, yet he is only averaging nine points a game. Um, 
those numbers aren't going to stay that way throughout the entire year. He, he's going to get more productive. He's going to build that chemistry with Bartholomew, and the pairing's going to figure out. But it's, it's like you were talking about. Biddle and Ware seem to have a really good pairing. They seem to have a good thing going. Personally, I liked what I saw when Dante and Ware were on the court together. Um, this is a, that was another good big man duo. And from what I've seen so far from Tyrone Williams is that he'll actually pair pretty well with anyone. Um, he's just a fun, energetic player. But I... The the second loss, the, sorry, the second game of the season and the first loss, it was a bad loss. It was. There's no way to sugarcoat that. But that's kind of going to happen in the early parts of the season where you're trying to figure out which pairs are going to work and which pairs don't. What I liked in last night's game that I saw was there were multiple pairs that were working together and there was a definite improvement in chemistry there. And that's something that they need now with the, with their brutal upcoming schedule. Of course, I mean, Houston's coming in here on Sunday and then they got to head up to Portland to play in the Phil Knight tournament and going to face some high quality, high caliber teams up there. To go off what you were saying, Brady, I thought it was really impressive how uh, cohesive the team played last night. Um, just uh, four minutes into the game, uh, Dante had a massive block, which thought really set the defensive tone, made everyone get more engaged. Um, the whole team finished with seven blocks, pretty impressive. The Ducks held the Bobcats to a 32% uh, field goal percentage. So, great stuff. I think one of these, I think one of the things that's interesting to me is that the last few years, Altman's had teams where they've had really strong guard play. With last year with Jacob Young and Davion Harmon, and then years past with Peyton Pritchard and Chris Duarte, Tyler Dorsey, Dylan Brooks. That's you know they've had a strong guard play. This team's strength is not the guard play right now, and it could be when Quisnard and Rigsby come back. I don't think those guys are as strong as Jacob Young and Davion Harmon were, and that's not a high high bar. But I just think that this team is strong in the front court with with their big men with with. Uh, Kalel Ware is a really, really good player, and he can be a great player if he kind of figures out how to, how to play off Dante. One thing that impresses me, his passing is really high level for, uh, you know, an 18-year-old who's a seven-foot player. Like, what do you guys think about his passing? I think it's pretty impressive, the, some of the passes that he makes. Unicorn-esque. Emma, what are some of the problems that you're seeing just based off uh, watching this team? Yesterday was actually the first game that I've seen of the season, but, I mean, I— was reading about the games this past weekend or whenever that was and I was kind of unimpressed just because I didn't really think Montana State was gonna like give them a run for their money and they kind of did for like that first half of the first half so I was just like I don't know kind of unimpressed I thought that they were gonna do a little bit better but I was also thinking like this is what like their third or fourth game of the season so there's definitely like a lot of areas of improvement especially when you guys are talking about like the different pairs that are working and not working like I think that there's definitely room for those to be figured out within the next couple of games especially if they're gonna be playing better teams does the lack of bench production uh, kind of worry you guys because I felt like that was a big weakness last season and outside of where they're not getting much production there I mean I really like Rivaldo Soares and I thought he was going to have a big jump it's only three games but he's not really playing up to that either so uh, is that something that is fixable I th- I don't know because one thing that Brady mentioned was with Tyrone Williams you know he can fit with anybody and he only played seven minutes uh, last night and I thought and that's an blowout win where you'd think that you know he could come back into the game with those reserves at least he's somebody who averaged 28 points a game at the juco level the juco is a high level too like this is someone who i thought would be scoring you know for for the oregon basketball team not averaging you know team high 14 to 15 points a game but but putting in you know eight to ten when they need it and he's just not playing at all 
Um, even in practice, it seems like he doesn't really score within the flow of the offense. It's kind of like hustle points, you know, tip-ins, uh, kind of getting the line. I don't really know how he averaged 28 points uh, in Juco, but he's someone who I thought could help the bench unit out. And maybe he will as the year goes along. But I think you're right. Like, Suarez is more of a defensive hustle guy. Um, so other than Kalel Ware, I don't really know where any of the bench points are going to come from. All right, well, that seems like it's it for uh, men's basketball. Let's let's move on to football. And, you know, guys, usually, I mean, for the past, what's it been, eight weeks now, I've looked forward to this segment. I, I really have not been looking forward to talking to you guys about football because I don't want to relive what I lived through on Saturday, which was my last game as a fan in the student section. And before we get into reviewing the game, I, I mean, I guess this is a part of reviewing the game. We're each going to get one complaint, and this is either a complaint with the refs, a complaint with uh, the play calling, complaint, a complaint with anything that happened, just so this is, can be a platform for us to air our grievances. Um, Brady, why don't we start with you? What is your one complaint from the game? Pass rush. We Stole don't have mine. pass rush. Um, this is two games in a row now without a sack. Let me say that again. That's two games in a row without a sack, and one of these offenses, one of the offenses was Colorado, and we're, we're, we're there's no there's no pressure in the backfield, and which means that they have which also they're not blitzing a lot, but that means that they're having more guys in pass coverage, and you're telling me the linebacker core that we have, we think that those guys are best suited in pass coverage. Um, that's just a little mind boggling. Penix, I mean, he looked great on Saturday. He did. But he looked way too comfortable, and I think that a lot of the defensive mistakes came from giving him too much time to be great. I agree with that completely. Like, this is something that Dan, that uh, Dan Lanning. Sorry, I'm getting mixed up with Dana and Dan. Dan Lanning has been asked about all season. Just the roles of each player. I don't think Noah Sewell's in the right role. I really don't. This guy is not a lateral linebacker who can cover, you know, tight ends down the field, especially Washington's weapons who are speedy. He's someone who needs to be rushing the passer, and he's just not. So, like, this is a question that he's kind of been avoiding with a guy like Noah Sewell, a guy like Jamal Hill, who's kind of been used as, like, a backup deep safety when he could be used as a box guy um, instead of Steve Stevens, who gave up so many plays. Uh, Triquest Bridges, who gets targeted on so many just comeback routes because he can't plant his feet and turn around. It just like these guys who are just not set up to succeed, in my opinion, because I think, you know, a guy like Bridges was uh, recruited as a safety. A guy like Sewell was is is strong as a pass rusher. And it just seems like he's like you said, they're not put in places to succeed, especially in the pass rush. Brandon Dorless seems injured. Uh, I think he's come off the field in the last three or four games with an injury and gone back in. So he doesn't seem like he's at the same level of play as he once was. But let's move on to you, Brennan. What was your complaint from this game? I know Brady stole that, but let's try and find another one. Yeah, I mean, the defense just didn't show up. I, I want to, because I have a lot of stats here about the pass rush. Not only did they not have a sack, they registered one QB hurry wow. as a defense collectively. Penix, 408 yards passing. I mean, he was so comfortable. Probably the most comfortable person in the stadium back there in that pocket. And I had like three layers and a hand warmer. So uh, that's saying a lot. No um, Oregon fans in the student section were comfortable. <laughs> but, I mean, you just you can't give Penix four seconds in a clean pocket or he's going to light you up, you know? And Oregon's corners outside of Gonzalez are just too inexperienced, and UW exploited that. So if I had to pick another complaint, I, I mean, I guess I thought some of the play calling was a little suspect. You know, I'm not sure about that onside kick. It worked against uh, um, 
UCLA. UCLA a few weeks ago. And uh, it just felt like Dan Lanning was trying to, to outsmart everybody and be the smartest in the building. And, you know, in some situations, you just got to do the logical thing. Like on the fourth and one, you know, Ty Thompson coming in, the defense wasn't able to stop him. But I, like I wasn't I don't know if you go for it there. It's really easy to say that in hindsight, but. Uh, the defense wasn't stopping anybody, so I can't fault him too much for that. But uh, the lack of pass rush was the biggest issue for me. Can I t- touch on what you said about the play calling here it. real quick? Um, Dan Lanning actually said something really interesting in his, in his post-game press conference. He said, I mean, let me back up a little bit. Obviously, Oregon has had some pretty risky play calling throughout a lot of their big games this year. I mean, we all remember the surprise onside kick against UCLA and a lot of fourth and short conversions deciding to go for it there was a lot of that in the Washington game too like you mentioned but Dan Lanning said at the end of the at the end of the game in his press conference he said you know we've sat in this room and we've talked about those plays when they've worked out and now we're sitting in this room and talking about them when they don't and that was my decision and I think that that's fair and I think it's fair to criticize those when they don't work out but as much as we were celebrating them when they did I still like that we have a coach that's willing to make these Mm -hmm. decisions I totally agree with that. I, my, I'll go. I'll just try, chime in with my complaint. My complaint wasn't. I feel like what you're touching on more isn't the play calling. It's more like the decision making. Sure. The decision to you know kick an onside kick. The decision to go for it on fourth and one instead of punt. The decision. You know all these right. decisions. The thing that my complaint was the play calling in those decisions. The the two that stood out to me the most were when Oregon went on a ten minute drive. And they ran the ball every single play. And I get it. It's been it had worked the whole play. I mean, it had worked the whole drive. And and they have third and five on uh, like the twenty-seven yard line, just in field goal range. And it seemed like if you get a first down here and you set up a touchdown, the game is in hand, basically. And I don't want to mm-hmm. say that when Michael Penix literally scored a touchdown in 30 seconds the next drive. No, but it would have been two scores. It would have been two scores. It would have been two scores. But he calls an up the middle run by Bo Nix, and I understand that the the um, QB sneaks and the running plays had been working that whole drive and the whole game, and that's what got them there. But if you're telling me that the best opportunity for Oregon to get five yards on this play is Bo Nix QB sneak, I don't believe that. Bucky Irving had a hundred and what is it, hundred forty three yards? Is that right? Hundred forty three yards rushing, and you don't give him the ball there. That that's what confuses me. And it seems like just running in that scenario, I know, I know that's what got you there. Just seems like running in that scenario just means you're okay taking the three points. And you can't be okay taking the three points against Michael Penix and against Washington in a must-win game with the CFP on the line. You can't be okay with that. You have to go try to get that touchdown. Seemed like the run was working. I would have either given it to Bucky if we we're going to run the ball or I would have put it in Bo's hands to throw it. And then the second play call that you know I kind of had a grievance with was I just think that not the fourth and one, you know, it was unfortunate that Noah Whittington slipped, but, you know, more often than not, you're going to get one yard when you're handing it off to, to Noah Whittington. But just thir- the third and five, the run uh, with Ty Thompson, I just feel like you have to at least give him a chance to throw the ball because if you're going to put nine in the box, and Dan Lanning even said this, he wished he had called the timeout not to put Bo in there, but to change the play call. He was just going to call another run. He wasn't going to let Ty throw the ball. There were nine guys in the box, and they're running against nine guys in the box with the game on the line. I just don't think that's the move. So those were my two complaints. Well, and right before we move on to the next one, I'm going to throw it back because that Bo Nick's QB sneak that they scored on earlier was in like a spread formation. They had four out wide. And in the second half, I don't think that's the look they got. 
was it? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think so. But I, I assume not because they were running power runs the whole t- the whole drive. Mm. So I, I wouldn't think they would change it for that one play. Okay, my complaint. Uh, where did the uh, defensive masterminds go? The so-called defensive masterminds. No, we bring in Dan Lanning, uh, easily uh, best defensive coach uh, or best defensive assistant last year, and Tosh Lapoy for the whole game. It seemed like our coverage is way too soft. Uh, we let uh, Penix get easy completions, got him into a rhythm early, and we could never stop him after that. Yeah, they were giving the receivers like a 10-yard cushion. It seemed like the entire game. Right. Uh, which, I mean, it doesn't really explain why they were getting burned for these 30, 40-yard passes, but some press coverage would be nice mm-hmm. to see. Emma? Uh, yeah, basically, I the 10-minute drive, that was just super annoying. I just like don't understand why nothing came out of that. Um, and then the last two minutes of the game like my feet were so cold and to not come out of that with like something exciting was just so disappointing but I just feel like I mean when you're talking about like the play calling the decision making I kind of feel bad now complaining about it because I mean he probably did do the right thing but I just feel like in the moment as a fan in the student section people were freaking out like why are we doing the same thing over and over again so yeah I don't know you guys pretty much touched on everything that I thought of but Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of think we recapped the game through those complaints, but um, just one thing that that Emma mentioned that I want to touch on that game, like it w- it was a really good game. Brady said this before the show started, but Washington outcoached and outplayed Oregon, and that's totally true. That being said, I do think this game, you know, I felt like just feeling wise, it deserved overtime, and for the ref to throw a flag on that illegal touching, which was so controversial, which they showed one. We, we're in 2022, and they're showing the worst angles of this play that decided if a team could still make the CFP or not. It's just insane to me that if the ref uh, threw the penalty on that and misses the angles that we're seeing, you can't tell me that he stepped out of bounds there. You can't. And you can't tell me that he didn't. Like, I couldn't, I could not tell from that angle if he did or did not. And that's what they're reviewing. And I just think if I'm the ref there, I... If I get that he throws that because they're like, okay, we can still review it, but it just seemed like the game was in the balance on that play, and it was a very close call, and it just doesn't seem like there was any evidence to even call that on on the field, let alone after the fact when there's a review. So that that was kind of confusing to me that the refs just made it all about them at the end of the game. If we want to move on to the actual game itself, um, one one thing that I thought was interesting was before the game, during the week, one of the reporters at practice just asked Bennett Williams, this is a very ironic story, asked Bennett Williams about uh, you know his uh, experience of the Brandon Ayuk play. And the Brandon Ayuk play, um, I don't have to explain it because all Oregon fans know what it is, but I will anyways. It's when Brandon Ayuk beat <laughs> uh, Domador Lenore over the top on a 30-19 that essentially sent Oregon to the Rose Bowl instead of the CFP playoff. And Bennett Williams was asked about this because – uh, you know, the weight of this season at this point is just as much as the weight was at that point when uh, Oregon went into pl- into Tempe and played, or- and played Arizona State with their season on the line. And Bennett Williams actually said that he had talked to Lenore about this and trying to prevent this. And then he was the victim of that Taj Davis touchdown that basically uh, set up Oregon in a position to lose their chances for the CFP. And, you know, this is not the first time that Bennett's been in this situation and he's 
kind of took fault for that touchdown, the Jordan Dyson touchdown against Colorado, and he gets burned again, you know, trying to make a play rather than just uh, staying back and not letting anybody get beat over the top. So I, I just thought that was ironic. And, you know, the secondary was beat all night, and that was another— they gave up touchdowns of 76 and, and 62 yards. So the secondary was definitely one of the many fault points for Oregon. Um, I guess moving on from that one, another thing that I thought was interesting today at practice, and I think you guys will find this interesting, Chris Hudson said that his hamstring injury on that last drive was part of the game plan, that he wasn't hurt at all. And I think we all knew this, um, but this is a whole other discussion. Like, what did you think about that, I guess, last drive in general? They made some big plays, and that was, you know, props to them for even getting into the position where they could throw a Hail Mary from 40 yards because that was – they were, they had fourth down and 14 with 40 seconds left to go. So what were some of the takeaways from this game that you guys saw rather than complaints? Well, I thought it was just really funny how um, how Hudson uh, got up and then went back down uh, to uh, because of his real injury. I thought it was great awareness. Um, I wish we had more of that. Yeah, I felt like he might have been faking in the moment just because of the timing and everything, but I was scared they were going to run down the clock. Because when that when that happened, they had no timeouts, um, so I, I'm not sure what the rule is exactly with that. But I wonder if if uh, the NCAA looks to that play and maybe thinks about a rule change. I don't know. What do you guys think? That's exactly what I thought. I thought there was a 10 second runoff when an offensive player is hurt under two minutes, but I guess not. I'm wondering if it's different because the clock stops after a first down, and there was that first down, um, so the clock wouldn't have been running. And so his injury didn't affect a running clock. Like I know in the NFL, it's similar. It's not a 10-second runoff if the pass is, is incomplete or there's a reason that you would have already had the clock stopped. Yeah, it, definitely an interesting point there. Um, a few other things uh, that I wanted to touch on. So one thing, you know, Landing was obviously asked about and mentioned was, you know, this season, the season isn't over. Oregon still has a lot ahead of them they have they click they control their own destiny essentially to make the Pac-12 championship and to make the the Rose Bowl and the most important game is the one that's ahead of them one of the things that I said that I that he said that I thought was interesting was that they didn't get beat by Georgia twice which is true they they didn't let themselves get beat by Georgia twice you know they they weren't down after the game they bounced back and he said they weren't going to let themselves get beat by Washington twice. This isn't going to, you know, be like last year where those losses compounded upon one another. This is going to be, you know, Utah is, Utah is in the future, and now Washington is in the past. So let's look forward to that Utah game because this has now become even more important than it was last week because if Oregon wants to make a bowl of any, you know, relevance, they have to beat Utah. If they lose, they're they're not going to make the Pac-12 championship. They're not going to make the Rose Bowl, and this is a team that prevented them from doing so last year. So this everything's on the line in this Utah game. What do you guys think will happen after losing to Washington? Will they be able to bounce back against Utah? I think so. Um, honestly, the Washington game scared me more than the Utah game did, and I know that that could be surprising to a lot of people because of how brutal the two losses last year to Utah were. But this, the Washington game, was more concerning because. This Washington offense is unlike anything I've seen so far in the Pac-12. And I've been following the conference pretty closely this year, and we knew that Washington was going to come in. They were going to throw the ball all over the place. They were going to burn you with deep balls, and we knew that the Oregon defense might not be ready for it. Whereas the Utah offense isn't quite as fierce an animal, right? Um, Washington is first in the conference in yards per game 
with 374. Utah is ninth with 252. So, yes, for the most part, this is the same team that burnt Oregon twice last year. I understand that. However, they, they're not at the same caliber that this Washington offense was, and we know that the Oregon defense isn't as good as the Oregon offense, but the defense is going to be able to keep Utah more in check than they did Washington, and the Oregon offense is going to stay in stride. I feel better about getting a win in the cold, cold Eugene night on Saturday um, than I did about this this Washington game, which, don't get me wrong, I thought Oregon was going to win, but I was more concerned about that one. Yeah, I like their chances. I mean, Cameron Rising scares me. Kincaid scares me. Um, but I think off a loss to a rival like UW against a Utah team, which you knew they were already going to have that chip on their shoulder going into it, now with the loss like factored in, they're going to come ready to play, I think. And I think that having the Pac-12 championship to play for, having the Rose Bowl to play for, as opposed to the CFP, where you weren't even sure they were going to get in there. You know, you had to have a few teams lose. I, I think that brings a lot of distraction to a team. So uh, that's kind of alleviated, and I don't know. It should be a good game. Uh, another high-scoring one, I think. Storyline we haven't touched on yet is uh, Tavion Thomas. Um, he's uh, had a mixed year so far, but uh, he is coming off his best game. The Utah running year. back. Yes, the Utah running back. Uh, he's coming off a week against Stanford where he outrushed the whole Cardinal team for uh, 180 yards, two touchdowns, and Oregon hasn't really been special at stopping the run, so that's something that really concerns me for this week. Yeah, I think Dalton Kincaid and Tavion Thomas are going to rip Oregon's defense a new one. Agreed. I, I, really, I don't think that Cam Rising is the biggest issue in this game. I guess he's getting the ball to Dalton Kincaid, but... I just think that those are two players in positions of weakness for Oregon that are going to destroy. And if if they have big games, it's going to be a very tough dogfight, just like this Washington was. You know, because their strongest player is Michael Penix, and he had a strong game, and they won. So if if their two strongest players have strong games, then they're going to be in a position to beat Oregon. One other thing we need to touch on. Bo Nix's injury is lingering, and the tea leaves that are being left around the team make it seem like Ty Thompson's going to start on Saturday. Today, uh, when I was asking Chris Hudson about the reason that they didn't let Ty uh, throw the ball on, on, on third down and five in the game, he said he'll show you this week. So that makes it seem like he's starting. Um, but I, I, we can't confirm this, but what do you guys think will happen if Bo Nix can't go do we feel confident in Ty Thompson? Uh, just put is, is it too late to change my answer <laughs> with that new information? Um, yeah, if Bo can't go, I don't. I don't think the Ducks are going to win this game. I mean, we've seen Ty Thompson in a few times in late game situations, and his decision making just isn't good. You know, and especially, I mean, I think he's got the talent, but I think he needs time to progress with bad teams. You know, like a, a Cal and a Colorado to work up. But if you throw him into a game against Utah, that's going to be a problem. And then he's going to have to score with Utah because you know the defense probably isn't going to stop him every drive. Hopefully Bo can go because uh, I didn't know about the status, but that's that would be a problem. If uh, Bo doesn't go, I think the only way Oregon can win is if we average like seven or eight yards a carry. Yeah, I, I think that... Um... It, they're keeping it really close, close to the close to the hip. Like they're not saying much. Landing's not saying much about the injury, but it seems like fifty fifty. It's going to be bow or tie right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's going to make all the difference in this game. Oregon has demonstrated this year that they cannot win a game that they don't score forty points in. 
And I don't see this team scoring 40 points against Utah with Ty Thompson at quarterback. Despite how good Bucky Irving's been, despite how good the wide receivers have been, I don't see that as a realistic possibility. I think they win if Bo Nix plays because I think they score 40-plus points. And I think that they lose if Ty Thompson plays because they don't quite reach that mark. Because we know Utah's going to score somewhere between 30 and 45 points. That's been consistent with their game all year. That's been consistent with the Oregon defense all year. I feel very confident in that. It'll just depend on quarterback. It's kind of a sense the whole time that like the Oregon Washington Washington game was going to be a dogfight. I like I even after uh, Dante Thornton's like sixty five yard touchdown, it seemed like Washington was just going to come back with another one. It never seemed like Oregon can get a grip on that game. Like even though the whole time I was like, okay, I think they're going to figure out a way to win this and cover the spread, which was thirteen and a half points by the end. Just seemed like Washington was just not going away, and then they made more plays the end when it mattered, and their quarterback stayed healthy. So that was kind of the difference there. Um, and Oregon just can't let those same mistakes plague the Utah game because we're, we're talking about it right now. If Bo doesn't doesn't go and the offense isn't you know close to flawless, they're gonna lose this game. The defense, the defense can't do anything to stop to stop Utah's weapons, in my opinion. Especially because this Utah team, I, I, I know everyone loses some guys, but this Utah team is still fairly intact from the Pac-12 championship Rose Bowl playing team that it was last year. This Utah team knows how to play in big games like this. They're, they've done it before. They're, they're used to it. This Oregon team, they've got players that are familiar with playing in games like this, but as a, as a squad, they've only been, the main components of this team have only been together so far this year. And we've seen how it happened in, against Georgia. That was a big game. It didn't go well. We saw how it went against UCLA. It actually went pretty favorably. And we saw how it went against Washington. And I think that that's a big advantage now that Utah has is the familiarity with playing in these big, meaningful Pac-12 games. And now we don't have that whole thing where we can be like, well, the Oregon the Oregon Ducks have won X, X straight at Autzen Stadium. That, that's, that's gone at this point. We'll start a new streak. Maybe not. A streak that me and Aaron will not be here for. That was the thing that was like the most antagonizing for me. Agonizing for me was just that they lost the streak, and that was like the last game that I went to as a fan was a loss. And it was a great. It was maybe the best game I've ever seen. I guess you got to come back. <laughs> I'm not Super doing, senior. I'm not doing another class. You're not pulling work. a Shane Hoffman. Take a, yeah, take a, take a yoga class. <laughs> wow, we're really doing drive-bys today. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to touch. Okay, one eight more injury. Alex Forsyth also got hurt at the end of the game. And that's he, concerning. Yeah, that's even more concerning than Knicks because the center is the most important position on the offensive line, in my opinion. Getting that snap, I, that's my opinion. Left tackle? I think it's the most important, getting that snap. You know, even Forsyth had that issue that ended up in a fumble on the goal line. I just think getting that snap to the quarterback and getting that point of attack block, it is so tough to snap the ball and then block a linebacker, in my opinion. That is the toughest thing, in my opinion, to do. Okay, I will see, I will say, I saw Forsyth and Lillis today. It didn't seem like there was anything wrong with them. That's He's great. walking fine, but I'm not a doctor. This is the students that we get. Yeah. This is great, because I also heard that Chase Coda has a knee brace and might not play the rest of the year from another student. Oh, no. Pa- so this is the last thing I want to touch on. This is just kind of an idea that I've kind of been thinking about. Before the season started, I don't think many people in this room thought that Oregon would be contending for a college football playoff. Uh, just with all the transfers they lost, uh, just changing of the guard, uh, coaching staff, I thought we all think this thought this would be a retooling year. Not saying they would be bad by any stretch of the matter, but just saying that this wouldn't be a college football playoff year where they would be sixth uh, in the nation at week nine and have a chance to, to make it uh, to the college football playoff. 
So just looking at it from that perspective, I feel less, you know, mad about this loss. Uh, you know, with this team that could have been eight and four, and they still could be eight and four, but uh, this team that you know wasn't didn't look like a ten team, a ten win team, you know, five or six months ago. To have everything still in front of them where they can still make a Pac-12 championship run and make a Rose Bowl run, I still think that that's pretty valuable in Dan Lanning's first go at it. So, just ending on a positive note. Is there anything else anybody wants to say? All right, all right we're going to make these score predictions. I think we should assume that Bo Nix is playing. because I think that we've all expressed that if Bo Nix isn't playing, it changes our answer and it probably... We know we know our top. answers if Bo Nix is not playing. Okay, so we we're give gonna, a Bo and a tie prediction. No, the no, Bo, the no Bo prediction is a loss. I'm not. We're not sure, giving that. Sure. Sure. So let's do a Bo Nix is healthy, home night cold Utah game prediction. <laughs> Mittens on my fingers while I'm typing. Um, I'm gonna go 38-35 Ducks. <sighs> Another nail biter. Mm-hmm. Emma, what do you think? Um, personally, I would like to see Oregon back in the 40s. But I don't know. I think it's going to be within three. The line is three. So I'm going 34 28 Utes. <laughs> oh, it's a light. I like that one. 45 30 Oregon. Oh, see, when Brady comes on here and gives us a two score uh, prediction, it makes me feel good about myself. Because I tend to be more pessimistic with it, don't you, I? You really do. Yeah. I think it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be 45 to 42 Oregon. I think they'll. <laughs> I think they'll push and they'll put up 40 and win, and they'll put themselves in a good spot to make the Pac-12 championship. All right. Well, that's all we have for you guys. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week.